Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we conclude our series today, Jesus Goes Global, Confronting the Power Base, with a message titled, Duties of the Faithful Pastor. So turn in your Bibles to Acts 20, 28 to 38, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I wonder if you know that you need a pastor, or you need pastors. You know, I know there are some well-meaning Christians who argue that they don't need them. I mean, they convince themselves they can care for their own souls, or that, you know, in the fellowship of God's people, they'll find Christian friends who's going to encourage them and so forth. And in the end, they see that a good pastor might be helpful and even encouraging, but not necessary. So isn't it amazing how Scripture thinks differently about this matter? Listen to Hebrews 13, verse 7. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Yeah, it's the God-given task of the elders or the overseers or the pastors or the shepherds, all different words for the same office. It is the God-given task of these men to watch over the souls of the believers under their care. That is, they are to ensure there's genuine faith. They are to ensure that believers are trusting fully in Christ and in Christ alone. They are to ensure that all sins are renounced. They are to ensure that believers under their care are relying on the power of the Spirit and not their own. They are to ensure that the Scriptures are taken seriously as God's Word for the life of His people. I could go on and on. In the end, each pastor will appear before God and answer for the spiritual watch care he has provided for every person under his care. That's how Christ has arranged the spiritual life of his believers. So when we come to the end of Acts 20, Paul is saying farewell to the elders of the Church of Ephesus. The Church of Ephesus, with its pastoral training center, as well as its critical geographical importance, that's soon going to become the center for world Christianity you know, at least for a time. And so as we see Paul spending time with these elders, we've got to envision that Paul understands how important these elders are to the whole community of God's people. And so Paul has finished talking about what lies before him and the fact that he's innocent of the blood of all to whom he has ministered. He now switches themes. He's leaving. They will not see his face again. And when he's gone, The future of the church of Ephesus will be in their hands. Indeed, their example will be copied in other places. So these elders, you know, if ever elders needed to know this, but these elders should be crystal clear as to what their duty is. Same's true of a pastor today. Notice I didn't say pastors and elders. That would be redundant. Pastors are elders. Elders are pastors. In the New Testament, there are no exceptions to this. Both are the same office. So then what's the duty of the pastor? Let me give you five duties from the passage before us. The first, which I would say is the the headline for everything that follows, is in verse 28. All elders are required to give spiritual watch care. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So those three words, pay careful attention, there are about one word in the original Greek, and that word means to be in a continuous state of readiness. That means that whenever this person learns of future dangers or needs or errors, they're going to respond quickly and appropriately. They're paying attention. They're alert. They are on guard. 
You see, every faithful pastor knows how quickly things like danger, false teaching, and even human need are a part of the life of the congregation. But here is where Paul's instructions to the elders, well, it takes an interesting twist, don't you think? See, the first place attention is required is that the elder is to take care of himself. Pay attention to yourselves. You have to guard your own spirituality. You need to watch your own morality. How are you living? And what are you believing? Whom are you trusting? And I don't need to tell you what harm has come to the Church of Jesus when high-profile pastors and leaders are found to lead a double life, that sin is left unchecked, and in the end, the people of God will also leave sin unchecked in their own lives. Pay careful attention, says Paul, for you should know that at any moment your own spiritual condition is in danger. See, one of the ways that's dealt with is in the community of multiple pastors or multiple elders. It's never the pattern in any New Testament church to have only a single pastor or a single elder. Multiple elders is of great advantage. And one of those advantages is that no one man is expected to do all the spiritual watch care for God's people. But another advantage, if it's done right, elders are to watch over the lives of each other. They're to pray together, study scripture together, commit themselves to sound doctrine together, oversee the workload together, and also take interest in the sins that so easily comes into any group of elders. For if sin is not arrested, it will not be arrested in the congregation. You know, James says that Christian teachers will be judged more strictly than the rest of the flock. And for that reason, Christian teachers must exercise vigilance among themselves that's exemplary. The idea of an unaccountable pastor is a profoundly unbiblical matter. So very well. Having stated that, Paul now says that the elders must also give careful attention to the flock. Paul uses words that actually come from Jesus. You know, people of God are likened to sheep. I once read some very refreshing words describing the life of faithful pastors, and the line said, they smell like sheep. That is, they've been among the sheep so much, they know what the sheep need, they know where the sheep are stumbling, they know what false beliefs the sheep have been believing, and where the sheep are being discouraged. They know if the sheep are reading the word and whether the sheep are actively involved in sharing their faith with others. They know who's straying. I mean, I could go on and on. Notice Paul's words. First, he says, it was the Holy Spirit who made you an overseer. Now, Paul might have been referring here to the laying on of hands of a pastor, which is a part of the ordination process, but surely he also has in mind the qualifications of the elder describes that later in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1. He's assuming that these qualifications have been thoroughly examined so that there's no doubt that the Holy Spirit has indeed put that elder into the office that he occupies. And then Paul adds that the church is the church that belongs to God. It never belonged to the elders of the pastors. Indeed, says Paul, that church was purchased by the blood of Christ. And he means here, that the price of obtaining the church was the highest price that could have been paid. And if this was the cost that God paid for the church, should not then the local pastor recognize it never was his church? How dare he think it was? He's accountable to God. Pay attention, says Paul. That's the first task of the faithful pastor. Second, be aware of the ever-present danger of false teachers and subversion. That's a principal threat to any church. Acts 20, 29 to 31. 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. These words might be surprising to some. It's not occurred to them that Satan is hard at work to subvert the good news of Jesus and to sow the seeds of false teaching among the people of God. You know, in the minds of many, everything must be fine. But in Paul's mind, things are never fine. The church must constantly be on a warfare footing, and the elders, who in 1 Timothy 3.9, Paul reminds us, they must know the deep truths of the faith. That is, they must be accomplished theologians who can identify the fundamentals of the faith and, and know the truths that are the primary truths and the ones that deserve all of our attention. And they should also know which truths, although important, are secondary truths and are founded on the primary ones. I mean, notice Paul's words that he begins this section with the words, I know. You know, Paul's fully aware that the Ephesian elders are facing a great danger. I mean, perhaps he knew that by revelation of the Holy Spirit, or perhaps, as he would later write in the book of Ephesians to the church, where he would speak of the schemes of the devil and this present darkness. But regardless of how he knew, he knew the church was in danger. And the danger was real. Fierce wolves that he speaks of here, and that's an image of wolves coming to ravage the sheep, that these wolves will come in among you, he says. He means among the elders themselves, among the leaders, among the teachers of the word, among those who are to proclaim Christ to the church. Notice how strongly he affirms this matter when he further goes on to say, from among yourselves, among the elders, men will arise and speak twisted things. And by the way, that did happen. Paul would later send Timothy to Ephesus. And in 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul writes, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. It was going on. And in 1 Timothy 20, Paul says, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Oh dear, Paul mentions them by name. Does that still happen today? Oh, of course it does. There is a moral decline in our society. A Christ-centered way of living no longer seems to be the norm. Without the truths of the Bible influencing our culture, this decay will only worsen. But there's hope and there is opportunity. God has called Christians to be salt and light. That is why this month, Back to the Bible Canada, is pleased to make a new booklet entitled 10 Christian Essentials for Cultural Change available to all who would request it for free. The content of this book comes from Dr. Newfeld's audio series, An Alternative Lifestyle, and presents 10 concise but powerful ways we can all affect change in the world around us. To request your free copy today, and to learn how you can help bring light to a broken world, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. It seems to me that the battle to teach and defend the once-for-all truths of Jesus and the gospel, to ensure that our pastors would indeed be the ones that the Holy Spirit delights in and has appointed, 
you know, is that we demand an understanding of what they believe, that is what the pastors believe, what they teach, what their theology is, the purity of their lives. And once we've identified those that are truly chosen by the Holy Spirit for the task, then it's the task of the rest of us to defend and protect them so that they aren't abused or fall into discouragement. You know, we've been talking about the duties of a faithful pastor, and up till now, from Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders, we've identified two of those marks. First, the faithful elder is involved in spiritual watch care, both of himself and of his flock. And then second, the faithful elder is ever aware of the dangers of error and constantly on guard for the purity of the gospel. And third, the faithful elder is a man filled with hope. That is, the faithful elder, even though he knows of dangers, he's not hopeless, but filled with an appreciation that the best days are yet to come. Acts 20, 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. So remember the context here. Paul will never see these men again. He knows they're in for a battle. He also knows that the church they're leading will in a short period of time become one of the most significant churches in the Christian world. So what does he do? Answer, he commends them to God. Now, this was Paul's practice with all the elders he trained and then commissioned. Now go back to, you know, Acts 14, 23. And when he had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. See, that's a committal. And Paul acknowledges that these have never been his elders. They were always Christ's elders. Christ is the head of the church, and these elders function under his headship. And so it's appropriate that with every elder that Paul would commend them to God. Now, in the text in Acts 20, he also commends them to the word of his grace. And that phrase, the word of his grace, that's probably a synonym for the gospel. See, not only do these men belong to God, but you also, says Paul, belong to the gospel. It's that message, not your own thoughts, that you belong to. And then having said that, Paul next says that God and the gospel of Jesus is able to build you up and give you an inheritance, an inheritance among all the other members of the entire church. That is, in the end of the day, when this age comes to an end and the entire church of Jesus stands before the throne, the elders of this church will also find that they have an inheritance among all the people of God. And that attitude, that God will not forget the work of faithful elders, gives hope and courage and a positive outlook. See, there's no place among faithful pastors that they should carry a victim mentality. I mean, faithful pastors never say, I mean, look how much I've sacrificed and you know, look how hard my life is and look how I struggled and woe be to me. Instead, faithful pastors believe that God rewards faithfulness and so they look forward to the wonder of the reward that is to come. God won't forget them. God will, in the end of their struggle, visit them with favor. And it's for that reason that faithful pastors have a smile and they exude hope. You know, years ago, a very tired pastor's wife talked to me, and you know, I was then a very, very young pastor. And she said, all oh, that the life of the pastor is is just a grind. She said, a daily grind. And her face showed that attitude. It was dour. She had a victim mentality. She spoke of the hard road and very little upside. I'll never forget that poor woman. So little hope. What a contrast she was to Paul. He said he was afflicted. Sure enough. 
but he wasn't crushed. He was perplexed, but he was not driven to despair. He was persecuted in many places, but he had never been forsaken either by God or by God's faithful people. Yeah, he said, I am driven to death. But he said, this happened so that the resurrected life of Jesus would be revealed in my body. I mean, don't you see that deep hope, you know, is just there. Faithful pastors always remind themselves that God knows, God remembers, God rewards. It's as if that were a part of their DNA. It's their basic makeup, hopefulness. Let's look at the fourth mark of the faithful pastor or faithful elders. You know, is they all, if they're faithful, work hard. I know it's a temptation for many to use pastoral ministry as an excuse for sloth. Faithful pastors don't do that. Jonathan Edwards, the great American pastor, used to work standing behind the podium. The podium was actually his desk, but it was next to an open window so that everyone in his flock who was on their way to work would see their pastor working hard. He wanted his hardworking people to know that their pastor worked at least as hard as they did, and even more. Acts 20, 33 to 35, Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, context is so important here. You know, Jesus made it clear, it's in Luke 10, verse 7, that the laborer, that is, the one who labors preaching the word, deserves his wages. Paul also affirmed that same principle. It is biblical to pay pastors. However, you know, Paul never availed himself of that, right? And he says so, but he had reason not to take a salary. Since he was preaching the gospel where it had not been heard before, he didn't want to give people the impression that he was doing this as a means of earning a living. But while he makes that commitment, he also teaches the churches that they must not make that demand to go without pay of their pastors. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 14, it's very clear. The Lord says Paul commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, having said that, Paul wants the elders of Ephesus to remember his work ethic. He worked as a tent maker in the morning. He lectured in the hall of Tyrannus during the day. He visited house churches in the evening. He kept up this dizzying pace. Why does he work that hard? He says he worked that hard so that he might help the weak. And to remember that Jesus taught that it was more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, from Jesus, Paul had learned to extend himself on behalf of others. He had learned that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many And so he expected his servants to follow in his footsteps, not to use their position in full-time ministry as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but rather for sacrificial giving. Listen, if you're given to sloth, don't go into the ministry, please, for your own sake and for the sake of the church. And let me say more. If you're in the ministry and someone says to you, that must be a great gig you have, you only work one day a week, well, don't let that rumor be spread that the people in ministry work little and that people in business or on the farm or in any profession or anything else that they do work harder than you. When someone says, guess you only work one day a week, you tell them, ask them to sit with you, show them your work schedule, tell them of the nights you work, show them the kind of workload you bear, Don't do it so that you'll appear good, 
but do it because you want God's people to know that their pastors work hard. And so we've looked at four marks of a faithful pastor. I mean, one, he does spiritual watch care for himself and for others. Two, he safeguards the truth so that there's no oxygen for false teaching. Three, he's deeply hope-filled. And number four, he works hard, not just 40 hours. No, sir. And then I want to add one more bonus item. Faithful pastors love their people, and their people love them. And that's why many people, when their pastor is taken from them, will weep, as does the pastor weep for his people. Listen to Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders, Acts 20, 36 to 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Notice that Paul's last acts with the Ephesian elders is that their pastor, the pastor to the pastors, kneels down with him and prays with them all. No doubt he had prayed for every single man there by name, and no doubt they prayed for him. There was in that moment of prayer a bond that I think was closer than the bond of men who go to war together. In a way, these men had gone to war together. It had been in warfare for the souls of men and women. And when their prayer time was done, then came the hugging time. And in typical first century Middle Eastern style, these manly men kissed each other. And furthermore, as they prayed and hugged, they wept. To lose Paul was to lose a part of themselves. Faithful pastors love their people and their people love them. It's a mark of being a follower of Jesus. Thanks for a wonderful message and series, John. Let me ask you this last question. From your experience, how can we better support our pastors? Yeah, and we really need to do it because uh, many of us don't realize the kind of spiritual warfare they are in. I mean, it's just true that every pastor recognizes that uh, they are in a battle. And, uh, you know, the great danger is that, you know, we can become um, so self-focused that we just can't, you know, get beyond ourselves. And that happens uh, simply because uh, of all the the struggle that people are in. So pray earnestly for your pastor. I mean, look for ways of encouraging him. Uh, Let him know that you're not going to forsake him very quickly. All those things. Thanks so much, John, and remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. We've been holding off, but now is the time to make an exciting announcement about In Doubt. The Young Adult Ministry of Back to the Bible Canada is now welcoming Andrew Marcus as its new host and director of In Doubt Ministries. Now, if his name rings a bell, it's probably because Andrew is an award-winning singer, songwriter, and pastor. Andrew brings so much to the ministry, including a master's degree in theology, a huge network of Christian influencers and leaders, and most important, a vision and heart to reach young people with the truth of God's word. So please pray. Pray for Andrew's leadership and pray that In Doubt would have a profound impact on the spiritual journey of many young adults across our nation. These are challenging days and young adults need to know that God's word is reliable and speaks into every question of faith, life, and culture. To find out more, check out indoubt.ca or call us at 
663-2425.